One of the uh, one of the things that really helped Jill and helped me uh, get to know our church family was a Sunday after service that we all went to round table and ordered pizzas of our choosing and we had a side room and spent a couple of hours uh, there with everyone and that was a great thing. And so we'd like to do that again on the 7th of November after service. We have the round table whatever room that BB's taken care of and Dale from 12 to 2. So if you like pineapple, order it. If you like anchovies, order them. Do whatever you'd like, but we'd love to be with you that day. It is the weekend of men's camp. So if you go to men's camp, you can't come to lunch. Although they let you out at 1030 in the way some of you drive, you might make it. I don't know. <laughs> when we met last week, I'm trying to figure out the calendar. It's just the way it fell. So anyway. If you didn't hear the teaching last week, um, yeah, God showed up. God showed up last week, and uh, I'll be honest with you, friends, I need him to show up today. Uh, I've always been a person that I work streaks. I'll work 30 days straight and then take three or four days off. That's the way, the way I've always been. Uh, not only have I pastored churches, I build them physically. Uh, built school buildings. Do all that, and, and I've always enjoyed it, but I've never been this age. <laughs> and so I have like three days in the last week that I've been doing those kinds of things, and it's it's like, dear Jesus, as we're in the car, I don't know how we got here, frankly, because I think I napped, but, but it's like, dear Jesus, if you don't show up, we're in serious trouble. So I'm asking Jesus, show up. Spirit of God, show up. And give us all strength. Last week, I talked about David the winter. The winner, and I had uh, Chris read a very long series of passages from 1 Samuel where it talked about David and Goliath. And uh, in that particular story, we see this young man, remember, who's two chapters earlier, catch the key. This is the key. Two chapters earlier, he had been anointed by Samuel, and it said the Spirit of God came on him. And so how he has this opportunity in front of someone who is making fun of God. And he's making fun of God's people. And all the leaders of Israel, the chosen people of God, are backing down because of fear. But the young buck, who's inspired and filled with the Spirit of God, says, let me at him. And by the way, I hear there's rewards. If you read it, he said it often. Did he not say, are there rewards? What he's, tell me again. Free from taxes forever? And we talked about the fact that he had a strategy. 
they tried to put a strategy on him. Here, wear my, wear my um, armor. Take my sword. Do this, do that. No, 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 I, I can't do that. Give me five smooth stones. Or I can get in close because what you don't know is I've been practicing. I set those Coke cans up out on a rock when I'm doing nothing but watching sheep. And I practice knocking them off. I think I can knock off a giant. Let me tell you, friends, when you're under the anointing of the Spirit of God, you can do things that are impossible for you to do. David was a winner. And the secret of his victory wasn't in how he fought. It was how he thought. It was how he thought. His mind had been renewed, Romans 12, 2. But he'd also been spirit-empowered. Can you imagine what happens when the people of God get their minds renewed and are empowered by the Spirit? Is there any giant that can stand in your way? Absolutely none whatsoever. David stood among his brothers, the Scripture says in 1 Samuel 16, and Samuel took the flask of olive oil he'd brought, and he anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Some of you may need to revisit the day that God's Spirit came on you and let that power be reinvigorated and renewed and restored in you. Let the river flow. Oh, that's the name of our church. You see, when you have the anointing of God, the Spirit of God, and a renewed mind, you can think how David thought. That was the key. You see, any Israelite soldier could have done what David did if they thought the way David thought. And David's victory over Goliath, if you're worried about the notes, I'm giving you last week in five minutes. David's victory over Goliath began a season of giant killing in Israel. And I went through a list of people that took on giants. Even the guy that had 24 appendages. Six fingers, six toes. As David became a leader, those warriors began to think the way he thought. So last week we touched on four elements of great thinking. I only got into one, which was faith thinking. Faith thinking. And that's reward-oriented thinking. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. That's Hebrews eleven six. You see, there are... Two elements of faith thinking. First of all, it's God's focused. It believes that God is. Some of us in recent season have forgotten that God is. I shared with you last week the, the transform, transformational moment for me was when my daughter said to me about my other daughter and son-in-law that we just helped move to Arizona and, and there's issues with employment because of the needle. And I said, I just seemed so bad. And she goes, Dad, God directed their steps. He opened every door. Do you think in any way he's surprised by what's happening now? 
And I said, yes, preacherette, thank you for talking to the pastor. Because I needed to get that in my spirit. God is not surprised. God is not surprised. In fact, if you read his book, he talks about a whole bunch of this kind of stuff. And it's at this time that we need more than ever to have our minds renewed, to think like God wants us to think, to think like David thought, and to be empowered by the Spirit of God, have the Spirit of God come on us in a new way that will inspire that thinking and give us the strength to act in faith. If you've never seen a miracle, you're watching one right now. Some of you get it. God-focused. Second, it's reward-oriented. Every giant killer thinks in a faith-filled manner because of their mindset towards God and about life. I remember... It was a number of years ago, we were in a Foursquare Pastors Conference, and I had been just plagued with fear that I was going to die. And because I am so outgoing and sharing with everyone, I didn't tell anybody. Even my bride didn't know that. But it was almost paralyzing. Every little twin, oh, I wonder if that's, you know, got a rash, must be leprosy. You know, I mean, it was bizarre. And we were sitting in a room with hundreds, thousands of four-square pastors. I don't remember where we were, but I do remember it was Pastor Jack Hayford. He got up and said, some of you live in fear, and I want to tell you what the Word of God says. You shall live and not die. And I sat there and I began to say, I shall live and not die. 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 You'll say, but Mark, someday you will. No, I won't. No, I won't. You'll say, yes, we'll come to your service. Yeah, you'll come to a service about the corpse. But you won't come to my service. Because the scripture says that when I'm absent from this body, that I am present with the Lord. My last conscious thought here is my first conscious thought there. My last event here becomes my first event there. The last thing that I see here becomes the first thing that I see there. Can you see that? I shall live and not die. And when that hit my spirit... I became invincible, not stupid. You know, I don't go jumping in pools anymore with electric motors. Found out that's not a good thing to do. Every giant killer thinks in a faith-filled manner because of their mindset towards God and life. The second verse was faith Thinking the first, the second is four-dimensional thinking or fourth dimension. Whichever way you want to write it, they both fill fill in nicely. Fourth dimension thinking. David asked this question 
when the giant came out. Who does he think he is anyway? There is something so profound in this sentence that we have often forgotten. And the children of Israel had forgotten it too, but David hadn't. Look at what it is. Who does he think he is anyway? This uncircumcised Philistine. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, that circumcision thing, I sure hope you're not planning to teach on that. I'm not. But what was circumcision? It was a sign of a covenant relationship with God. And so what David was saying is, who does he think he is anyway? He does not have a covenant relationship with God like we, the armies of God, do. Can you see it? Goliath didn't enjoy a covenant relationship. Remember, this is not a contract. This is a covenant relationship that is always sealed with the shedding of blood. And a covenant is surrendering of rights. Contract, I just, here's a deal I'll make with you. This is what's going to protect me from you, and this is going to protect you from me. Covenant is not that way at all. It's here's what I'm going to do with you without, for you without condition. And what's so neat about covenant relationships with God, they're all one way because there's no way we can measure up on our side of the deal. So here's what God said. If you want to understand how it all works, here's the big picture in about five sentences. The big picture is this. You want to have a covenant relationship, you've got to come to the table as equals and you've got to make the same terms of agreement. Fine, I'm going to sacrifice. Oh, well, you can't you can't do that. Well, guess what? I'll send someone to do your side of the deal too. That's Jesus. Who does he think he is anyway? David knew he was under the covering and he knew he was under the blessing of God in the spirit realm. That's the fourth dimension. We often forget that we are spirit beings living in a physical world. Just passing through, by the way. David knew he was under the covering and blessing of God. When we forget the fourth dimension, we will live in fear and we will live in defeat. We will because we'll look at evidence in the natural. Some people have looked at COVID and said it's led to the demise of the church. Well, to quote Apollo 13, I believe this can be our finest hour. Because more people are afraid. More people are living in fear. More people are paralyzed. More people are under stress and distress. More people are overwhelmed. More people's minds are just spinning and spinning and spinning. And when you can come into their life and you walk in with peace 
and joy. And how in the world, in spite of these circumstances, can you have that? Well, because I'm not living in the realm you're living. I see something that you don't see, but I'd love to give you the glasses so you can see it too. David knew he was under the covering and blessing of God. Friends, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are under the covering and blessing of God. You shall live and not die. I think of a similar story. It's not in your notes, but it's in mine. Israel had 12 spies. Remember, they'd been given a land of promise. God's plan, I could get you there in six days. We'll go for two years. You add 38. You'll say, why did God want to take them for two years? Because he needed time to get Egypt out of Israel. Think about it. So we're going to go here and I'm going to show you a provision. We're going to go here I'm going to show you a provision. We're going to go here I'm going to show you a provision. We're going to go here I'm going to show you a protection. Okay, now you're ready to go in. Let's send some spies. What happens? Ten spies come back. The giants. Now we're 40 years removed. Oh, that we could go back. Think about who's saying that. It says in Numbers 14, Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua and Caleb, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled throughout and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord's pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is rich and flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all Israelites at the tabernacle. You see, here's what Joshua and Caleb knew. They knew that God had withdrawn protection of the, from the giants, over the giants. They were fourth dimension thinkers. This is our land. God promised it. We are the people of promise. We are the ones in a covenant relationship with him. He brought us here, not to defeat us, but to let us be victorious. The other ten spies were oblivious. They were three-dimension thinkers. They were looking, we're little, they're big. We're certainly unorganized, they're organized. We are unarmed, they are armed. They have fortresses and towers, we have tents. Your talk and your walk will reveal your view of reality.
I texted Chris this morning because I knew I was tired. And I thought if I open service, we may never get started. But I knew God would inspire him and anoint him. I knew that would happen. And I knew when I saw that, that I could believe he could do it for me too. Second Corinthians 5, 7, it says, We live by believing and not by seeing. Let me explain to you. Satan's strategy is always to overwhelm us in the natural. And if you haven't been overwhelmed in the natural in the last 18 or 20 months, I don't know if you're human. I was sharing with the worship team this morning. I'm excited about tomorrow because for the first time in a long time in my office, we're basically two branches, and I've been running both branches. And I'm excited that tomorrow someone's coming to run one branch. I don't know what to do with myself. I think I'm going to take the day off and let him know how I felt for the last three years. <laughs> Satan's strategy is to always overwhelm us in the natural so that we'll forget his presence and we'll forget his power at work for us in the spiritual. Sometimes you don't see victories when you ask for them. You wonder, where are they? Well, the warfare has gone on in the spiritual and the battle's won in the spiritual. And now how is it fleshed out, or the big word in the Bible, how is it manifest? in our lives. Joel Osteen had a great illustration this morning. If you didn't hear it, he said, you know, you can cut a rose, stick it in water, and even though it's not connected to life, for the next week or two, it'll continue to bloom and look like it's really something. And I thought, that's a lot like problems. Sometimes you can pray and God's promised you, I've intervened here, and you go, well, it's getting prettier. It's getting bigger. It seems to be blossoming. But it is cut off. Don't forget that God is at work for you in the spiritual dimension. David didn't forget that, 1 Samuel 17. It says he replied to the Philistine who had just said, Who are you, little tiny flea on a dog? No, actually, you're the flea on the tail of a very small dog. And David said, you come to me with sword. I see that. You come to me with spear and javelin. You have three weapons. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, who, by the way, you have defied. Notice he doesn't say, today I, the anointed one, will conquer you. There's a great truth there. I don't have time to preach that sermon, but hear what I just said. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Today, 
The Lord will conquer you. And once he's done that, I will kill you and cut off your head. <laughs> I love that. You're going to be conquered by God. Then I'll cut off your head. Then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Every giant killer is a four-dimension thinker, seeing beyond what others see. They act in courage, faith, and boldness. Number three. You can leave that one up for a minute. I think there's a bunch of fill-ins there, or maybe not. I don't know. Number three was fresh thinking. Fresh thinking. 1 Samuel 17 says, Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, fell down because of the weight. Oh, wait a minute, it doesn't say that. For he had never worn such things before. He said, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. You see, fresh thinking will allow you to embrace unusual strategies. The Bible is full of unusual strategies. You come up against a city, what do you normally do? You go battering ram into the gate and try to get inside. But when God's directing you, you march around it in silence for a lot of times. And then the last time, make a bunch of noise. Think about that. That's bizarre. Fresh thinking. Embrace unusual strategies. Circumstances should change your methods. And they will. You see, Israel's armies who came out every day could not imagine a way to defeat the giant. They were in-the-box thinkers. He's big or small. If I get in close enough to do something with my sword, I'm about two feet into his. Do you see that? They needed to change the way they thought. And we know that for 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. David shows up. Listen to this. This is what happens when you have renewed mind thinking, that spirit-empowered thinking. David imagined a new way in just minutes. They'd been there for 40 days. I, what are you going to do? Can you imagine? He comes out every day. Why don't you send somebody over? And they're in the tent. Who's going to go? Let's. <laughs> Best of five. Best of 22. Can you imagine that? He imagined it in minutes. How did he do that? He had spirit-inspired Thinking, which will always be fresh. Now, can I pick on us? I'm going to pick on us. 
I came of age as a pastor in the 80s. And the, the way of the 80s was a 90-minute service with at least 45 minutes worth of praise worship, as Dr. Wymore used to call it. He was our supervisor. And then finished with at least a song or two at the end. If you could survive the 90 minutes, you must be God-inspired. And be back in three and a half hours for another one of these. And oh, be here an hour before that one for another one of these. I can remember growing up, let's have announcements. Well, next Sunday, 9.45, Sunday school, 10.45, worship. Be back at 6 o'clock tonight. Nothing was wrong with that. Other than when we were young parents, it was exhausting. And to go and hear sermons on Sunday night that said the spiritual people come on Sunday night. Well, then the unspiritual ones aren't hearing you call them unspiritual because they were smart enough to stay home. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't do things. Don't get me wrong. And I... Uh, my first 10 years of preaching were largely a Sunday night crowd. But it was a way. But if you look at what's gone on in our culture, people on average are working about 13 hours more a week than they were then. That's not me making up the data, and it may be even more. And the number of people that work second jobs and the number of people that bring work home and work continually into the evening has changed. Now you say, well, but God should be first. Yes, God can be first and should be first, but he doesn't have to always mean we meet in a room. It means we could meet together in a group or we could meet at Starbucks. Huh? What's my point? When things get a little rough or the church hits a patch, I want to revert. You know, let's just, let's just uncork a Sunday and get a full band. And even if we have to pay people on the streets and let's just sing for 45 minutes and that'll, no, it won't. Nothing wrong with that, but it won't change. Why? Because we're in a different season. Is this making sense? Circumstances change our methods. People need relationship today because they don't have it. They need friendships today because they don't have them. And where can the church of Jesus Christ best minister in a culture? Getting in a box and having a meeting on Sunday night or taking that same time and reaching out to a neighbor? Do you see my point? Not in addition to. I know our church pivoted to small groups. And it was amazing what small groups did. We had three times as many midweek participants in small groups than we ever had on a Wednesday night. Why? Because you didn't have to drive. (laughs) And it was okay to bring coffee and eat. Right? It was a different strategy because it was a different season. 
I love Wayne Cordero's model in uh, New Hope, where he has so many small groups, and a lot of them just meet with their journals, and they, they meet in Starbucks or a coffee house, or I would prefer a dessert restaurant. Like I, To me, Leatherby's would be like the perfect church. Uh, you, you catch my point? Israel's armies couldn't imagine a way to defeat the giant. The circumstances change our methods when we see the way God wants us to see. David imagined that new way in minutes. And here's what I want us to get. Many try to solve every problem with the same answer. David defeated the lion. David defeated the bear with different methods than he used against Goliath. Later on, he defeated other enemies in different ways than he defeated Goliath. The things that you're challenged with in your life, ask God. He will give you fresh thinking and a new way to defeat that thing in your life. What are some keys to fresh thinking? Number one is humility and dependence upon God. I don't know. You know, that's okay. That's kind of become my favorite answer. What are we going to do now? I don't know. But I know someone who does, and I have a relationship with him that he talks to me, and guess what? He can tell me. What do I do? It takes humility to reach that place to say, I don't know. David had no pride. He couldn't point to his great Israelite army training because they didn't let him join. He couldn't point to his equipment and say, I'm the best outfitted soldier. What he did have was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who knows all truth, who possesses all the insight and answers that we need. You see, we need to be loyal to truth and not tradition. The, we've always done it this way, is a motto for failure. Even in spiritual battles. Reliance upon tradition is never a guarantee for success. You know what? It's okay with God to be willing to try and risk failure. David took a risk. He became a legend. Every giant killer is a spirit-led thinker. Final point, forceful thinking. Forceful thinking. Samuel, don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Here's what David had to do. He had to push through insults, curses, negativity, that came from his own brother, by the way. And in each of these situations, he offered an appropriate yet respectful response to everyone who resisted him. 
Look at Eliab, his brother, 1 Samuel 17, 28. Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. He said, why do you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done? Then the next thing, isn't there a cause? Well, what does that mean? He's saying, isn't really this more important? You're worried about the daddy's few sheep that I might have left, which, by the way, I'm responsible. I got someone else to cover them. Don't you think defeating the giant that's defiling the armies of the living God is more important? That was still a respectful response. He could have got into a contest. When Saul said, you're just a little boy, he respectfully sought a chance and submitted himself. When Goliath made fun of him, he refused to be intimidated, declaring the word of God. God always honors righteous aggression in the right things. There's a key phrase there, righteous aggression. Here's an example. You know, in Luke 18, the widow and the unjust judge, she just kept saying, Give me justice. It says the widow of the city came to this unjust judge repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said, I don't fear God. I don't care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see she gets justice just because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Now, some people look at that and say, that's what you have to do with God. No, that's a story. God is the opposite. This is not a comparison. It's a contrast. How much more is your heavenly father who wants to hear you call willing to respond? Spiritual people fight battle in the spirit. That's forceful. Matthew 11 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and forceful people lay hold of it. Sometimes I think we as believers lay down instead of lay hold. I'm guilty of it. Ephesians 6 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the adversary. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, persons with bodies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. All that is fourth dimension. Here's a reality, friends. All of us must deal with hurtful people, difficult authority figures, and unrighteous enemies if we're going to succeed. What do we know? David thought differently than the entire nation. And he defeated Goliath and changed the personality and the mindset of an entire nation. Can you imagine that? So let's look quickly at how winners think. They're faith-filled and reward-oriented. They're four-dimension thinkers. They recognize the spiritual dimension. They have fresh thinking. They're not afraid to be God-inspired, to do something different. And they're forceful 
And what I mean by forceful is they're gracious yet tenacious. God has given many of you promises and you wonder, I wonder if God's going to care. Hold on. Hold on. Some of you are waiting for your kids to return home. And I don't mean physically, but I'm speaking spiritually. Hold on. Hold on. The time is not up. The days are not over. Believe me, the Spirit of God is reaching out to draw them. God has heard your cries, heard your prayer. He hasn't given up, so why should you? Great people think in a positive, God-focused manner, regardless of life circumstances. David was a winner because of the way he thought, not the way he fought. Jesus, this morning, as we've looked at David these last couple of weeks, we see how his mindset was focused on you. He thought of you every moment. And because of that, when confronted by an enemy, you were there, he had a renewed mind, you gave him fresh thoughts, you gave him a strategy, and you gave him victory over an adversary. Lord, I ask that for this, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen.